I'm going to speak from a slightly different perspective to what we will normally classify your your casual Easter Friday service. Um, it's it's a little bit unusual that we celebrate Easter Friday on Friday and Resurrection Sunday on Sunday. Um, the Bible, to me, talks about Jesus' death and resurrection being a three-day process, three days and three nights. And I count from Friday night, Friday night, Saturday night, oh, it's only two days until Sunday. But yet the Bible tells us that Jesus was dead for three days and three nights. There must be a little bit of something unusual going on in our westernized Christian theology that makes us believe all sorts of little things like this. But uh, this afternoon, all I'm going to do is just share from maybe a little bit more of a Hebrew perspective, a more biblical perspective, and see what was really going on at the time of Jesus's, um, Jesus's death and, and resurrection. And whether you've been a Christian your whole life, whether you've been a Christian five minutes, whether you were just roped along to this service by somebody that you knew and you didn't even want to be here, what I'm going to share with you is, to me, I, I personally think is just so exciting, so incredible, um, seeing God's big picture plan from beginning to end. There's something here for all of us to learn, eh? Um, so I think there's something for us, all of us to learn and to be challenged on at the same time. Um, I'm going to start just, Mike, if you want to flick up the, our next slide. I'm going to start um, just by sharing something by a guy, a, a famous mathematician. His name was Peter Stoner. And he was calculating the likelihood of one man or, or one Messiah just randomly fulfilling prophecies um, of this suffering servant. This uh, In the Old Testament, we have what's called prophecy. Um, and there was 300 prophecies about a servant who would come and um, be a blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. And prophecies would be like he came from the tribe of Judah. He was born in Bethlehem, these sort of things. And there was 300 of them talking about the first coming of our Messiah, of our Jesus. Um, and, and Peter Stoner calculated the likelihood of one man just by random chance fulfilling 17 of those prophecies. And the likelihood of him fulfilling just 17 of them was, I don't even know what that number is, it's trillions. It's 1 in 10 to the power of 17. So 17 zeros, right? Remember he fill, fulfilled 300 prophecies. The likelihood of him fulfilling 17 just by random chance. Interesting, eh? Then he went on to calculate... What's the chances of him fulfilling just 48 of the 300 prophecies about him, just by random chance? And Mike, if you want to flick the next slide, bro. What is that number? It's like a trillion, 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 or whatever, you know, like one, one in 10 to the power of 157. That's the likelihood of our Messiah rocking up and just fulfilling 48 of the prophecies about him, just by random chance. Now, this is just about the Messiah. We're not even taking into account, you know, creation itself and all of the things involved with that. You know, this is, this Bible, this Bible is absolutely flawless in its, in its design. You know, we really do have a God that from beginning to end has really thought this thing out properly. You know, he's got it all on lockdown. He's got it all under control. And we're actually just going to have a look at a couple of those prophecies dealing with um, the death and the resurrection of our Messiah tonight. Um, so most of you would be familiar. Jesus came, he, he died on the cross, he rose again. That's why we celebrate Easter and all those sorts of things like that. Um, what I'm going to talk about is not Easter, but Passover. Um, what you may not have known 
was that Passover has been celebrated for 15 years, 1,500 years before Jesus even came to earth. Um, they were known to the Hebrews as the appointed times. I'm just going to read a verse here. It's a really fascinating verse. It's in Leviticus 23. Um, and God is speaking. He's speaking to Moses and he says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. What on earth is he on about? So, so, so we're going to break this down and have a quick look at this. It says, So the first line um, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord. Now, what do we think about when we think about feasting? Food, yeah, nice food. I love nice food. Um, that word feast actually has absolutely nothing to do with food whatsoever. Um, the, word, uh, the word feast here in the original Hebrew, it actually means an appointment or an appointed time. Whoa, that's such a different meaning to food, right? Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, what on earth is a convocation? <laughs> um, the word convocation in the Hebrew is another absolutely fascinating one. And it means uh, an assembly, or it can also mean a dress rehearsal. Interesting, interesting. So he's saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, my appointed times, which you shall proclaim or celebrate as dress rehearsals, my appointed times are these. Interesting, interesting. The other incredibly interesting thing is that he's saying that these are my appointed times. Whose appointed times? God's appointed, the appointed times of the Jews, the appointed times of Israel, the appointed times of New Zealanders, or these are my appointed times, God says. These are my divinely set appointments. Interesting, hey, interesting. Um, in Colossians, Paul talks about this. He's in Colossians 2, chapter 17, and he says, he's talking about these feasts, these appointed times, and he says, these are a shadow of things to come. So um, they're, they're shadows, they're typologies, they're pictures of what is to come. So now, now we can look at Passover, all right? Um, so think back to Hezekiah's message um, and how he is explaining that the, uh, in the exodus from Egypt, the Israelites were required to, to take a spotless, blemishless lamb, to take its blood and to wipe it on the door frames of their houses. And God and, his, and the spirit of death would pass by, and those who had the blood of the lamb, the blood of a spotless, blemishless lamb, on the door frames of their houses would be saved from, um, from the death of their firstborn sons. Right. So that's the context. Remember, these are pointed times. These are dress rehearsals. Now, the, the sacrifice of a spotless, blemishless lamb for, for the sins of people, what would that be a, a dress rehearsal of? Maybe Jesus, the spotless, blemishless lamb, and his death on the cross. Now, when we look at these things from our Western perspective and we read verses in our New Testament about Jesus being a spotless, blemishless lamb, what, what comes to mind? Oh, Jesus, he's so cute. He's so fluffy, you know, like, oh, good old Jesus, you know. Unless, unless we see the shadow, unless we see the dress rehearsal, unless we see the context that these things were talked about, and we have no idea what he's talking about. So just like we shared before, um, 
the, the spotless blemishless lamb. This is a typology of slaughter, of sacrifice, not of cuteness. So this is why it's so important to understand the whole Bible from beginning to end. You know, Everything is relevant to us. Um, even another quick example is that the book of Revelation has 400 verses in, right? And it has 800 references to the Old Testament, just in those 400 verses. How on earth can we understand that thing if we don't understand the context, the dress rehearsals, God's full picture from beginning to end? Um, all right, so back to Passover. So um, as a dress rehearsal, the Israelites would celebrate year after year after year. On, on the 14th of Nisan, which was their calendar, um, it's around about our April. Um, and every year they would, they would sac- uh, they'd sacrifice a, a spotless, blemishless lamb as a dress rehearsal for something. And I've heard from you guys, may very well be the, the crucifixion of our Messiah. What, what you may not be aware of is that this was celebrated on the same day every year, at the same time every year. Then when Jesus came along, he was sacrificed on that very day, on the 14th of Nisan at 3 o'clock. Um, at 3 o'clock, the exact time on the exact day that for 1,500 years had been dress rehearsal after dress rehearsal after dress rehearsal of sacrificing a spotless, blemishless lamb. And then our Messiah himself rocks up in the flesh and is sacrificed as the very lamb of God. Isn't that absolutely fascinating? How did he fake that? How did, how did that happen by random chance? Um, and now, often we stop there. Often we stop there and think that is God's plan of salvation to be, for, from beginning to end. He sent his son, John 3.16, right? He sent his son to die for us so that we might have eternal life. I'm forgiven. Yay! Um, what, what you may not be aware of is that was just one of seven more appointed times to come. That was just step one. And there's seven more dress rehearsals, seven more steps in God's plan of salvation for his people. So this is incredible, right? This is incredible that there's so much more to God than what we may ever have imagined. Um, So I'm just going to move on to the next one. The next one is just as fascinating as Passover, the next appointed time. And it was called the appointed time of unleavened bread or the feast of unleavened bread. And this is, a, um, this is the example that we used in our game this evening, is that families would get together um, and the mum normally would hide a little bit of leaven or a little bit of bread in the house. And the kids would take their, um, their candle and their feather and they would hunt for the last little bit of bread that was left in the house. And when they found it, they'd sweep it onto, sweep it onto a cloth and they'd take it out of the house. Um, in fact, all leaven had to be taken out of the house and they weren't allowed to eat it for a week. Um, what on earth are these crazy, weird traditions about? Does God really care? Oh, just by the way, oh, sorry, uh, just a side note. Mike, do you want to just pop up the next slide? For those of you that don't know, leaven is just like yeast. Um, why does God have an issue with yeast? Like, what? <laughs> um, is he really that crazy about something that goes into bread or is there something of a dress rehearsal going on here that is so relevant to us today so year after year after year they'd sweep the leaven out of their house we're just going to have a very quick look at at leaven and what it does and we might see some cool things so leaven right like i said is a form of yeast and it's a living organism interesting eh? leaven is living and it's 
produces a high state of corruption and bread. Um, so it's a single-cell living organism, and what it does is a single cell goes and eats and kills every other living cell that's in bread. So it, it makes its way, one little drop makes its way throughout the whole of the bread, and it corrupts and destroys every other living cell, and it re, um, releases carbon dioxide, which is like a poisonous, poisonous gas, and that's what, um, that, that um, gas is what puffs it up. It, um, you know, you have your... Um, bread without, without leaven, and it, and it puffs it up. So um, the historical context, like Hezekiah shared, is that, um, is that the Israelites didn't have enough time to let their bread rise, so they had to make it without yeast. Um, so interesting that one little bit can, can go and eat and kill every other living cell. One little bit can corrupt the whole thing. Like baking powder, baking soda, they're like fake, they're like fake leaven because you put a little bit of baking soda in part of it, and it corrupts part of it, whereas yeast in itself is living. One little bit makes its way through and corrupts absolutely everything in there. Isn't that fascinating? Even if, even before we just take this into biblical terms, like yeast in, in itself is a fascinating thing. Um, and then we see quotes by, um, by Jesus, you know, a little bit of leaven, leaven's the whole lump. What is he talking about? So Matthew 16, and Jesus is um, talking to his disciple, disciples, and he's saying, watch out and be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then later on, after this conversation, he's, um, the disciples, they know what he's talking about. They know the culture. They know, what's going, they know what's going on here. And they said, then they understood that he did not say, beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Interesting. So there's, there's this leaven. There's this corruption. There's this little thing that has taken what was pure and has worked its way through the Pharisees so that what is coming out of their mouths is corrupted, is impure. What, that which was pure. Now, the Pharisees, um, almost similar to us today, they knew their Bible. They knew, they could quote half the Old Testament to you. You know, they, they were scholars. They actually were waiting for the Messiah to come in the flesh. You know, they, they weren't just randoms. They, they knew their Bible back in front. And Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven. Beware of the corruption that's in the teaching of the Pharisees. Now, was he talking about sin? Was he talking about beware of the Pharisees because they stole something last week? Or is there something else going on that he's talking about? And this is what is, this is, what is fascinating. Re- remember um, back to the start when I, when I just gave the example of um, of the, the first coming of our Messiah and how there were 300 prophecies that he fulfilled. Now, the Pharisees knew probably all 300 of those. They, they, knew, they knew about the suffering servant. Um, they, they knew the prophecies theoretically in their mind. But yet when Jesus came in the flesh, they had absolutely no idea who he was. They couldn't comprehend this Messiah that rocked up. This is a very concept of leaven. Um, leaven, once again, it is what puffs up. So what might that look like for me? I'm the man. I know everything there is to know about everything. I, I know my Bible be- probably better than you. I, um, this, is, this is that leaven. It's, it's what puffs up. It's that pride. It's, a, it's the corruption. Now, I may know Biblically, I, I, I may have an understanding or a knowledge or a theater, theoretical understanding of truth, 
but the pride that was in my heart has just corrupted that which was pure, that which was beautiful. Um, and, and God is saying to these um, to these disciples, he's saying, be aware, not of the fact that they don't know their Bibles, but the fact that there's something inside of their hearts that has made it come out corrupt. And that's why I believe that the, the Pharisees did not recognize their Messiah because they were so full of their own opinions about him, so full of their own pride, so full of their own knowledge that they were not prepared to come into a place of humility. Humility being the absolute opposite of pride, to, to humble themselves, to truly seek God for who he was and for what he was doing in that particular time. There was something inside of them that was, that was corrupted. And this same reality relates to us today. Um, getting the leaven, getting the leaven out of us. Remember, we swept, we swept our little bits of leaven out of out of the rock today. It's not about becoming perfect. It's not about not sinning. It's actually all about coming to a place of knowing Him, allowing our pride, our our preconceived ideas to be swept out, so that we would come to a place of humility, that we would really come before Him and truly know Him. Now, once again, we've already seen that His blood covers us. His blood has already paid for sin. It's already forgiven us. That's not the issue that's in question by any means. Um, the, the blood of the Lamb came before this whole process even started. So he covers us. He forgives us. He calls us as his sons. And then he invites us into this process of truly, truly getting to know him. And real, true knowledge of God will always bring you into humility. It will never puff you up. If, if you truly know him, you will be more and more and more humbled. You know, I heard, I heard a sermon a while back and uh, from a very famous pastor and he said he would always go and clean the toilets to make himself humble when you truly know god you are humbled and this is a process that we are all on is that he humbles you when, when you know your messiah and you know who you are in his sight it's it's a process of humility it's everything is to do with the heart knowledge and understanding has to start in the heart or else if it's in the mind it puffs up so I'm just going to have to. I'm going to have to to move on for for the sake of time. But if that interests you, go and have a look at these traditions yourself. Go and you know you can just jump on jump on the on the net and have a look at Hebrew culture, Hebrew tradition. It's all there. Um, so once again, Jesus didn't come just to just for the Passover, just to forgive us for our sins, and that was it. He came to do that as a means, as a blood covering, so that we could now enter into this process of truly getting to know him, truly seeking him. Um, all right, moving on to the next the next appointed time, which is called the Feast of First Fruits. And this is another fascinating one. And what would happen um, is that the Israelites would bring their, their, the first fruits of their barley harvest, the, first, the, the best of their produce, the first um, of everything that they had um, to God. And they would offer it up as an offering to him. Now, once again, we see a dress rehearsal and then we see a fulfillment. Um, on the same, at the same time, on the same day, that, that the people of the land would bring their first fruits and offer them up to God, Jesus was rising again from the cross as what 1 Corinthians 15, 20 tells us. He was the first fruits unto God. He was rising again at the same time, on the same day once again. Three, day, three days and three nights later. How on earth could that be a coincidence? How could he fake being resurrected on the same day that for 1,500 years before they had been dress rehearsing, dress rehearsing, dress rehearsing 
offering something up to God. And then Jesus resurrected the first fruits unto God. Isn't that absolutely fascinating? God's flawless plan, his flawless design from beginning to end. The last one I'm going to talk about um, comes 50 days later. Does anybody have a guess about what, what comes 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus? Pentecost. What you may not know is that Pentecost was actually being celebrated 1,500 years before what we know as Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have a whole denomination called Pentecostals. I've never once heard coming out of their mouth the history or the context of what Pentecost is even about. What is fascinating is that Pentecost, um, once again, we're going back to the, the exodus from Egypt. And the day of Pentecost was when Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone. And so he comes up and he receives these Ten Commandments. And once again, we have a westernized Christian perspective. So we think, oh, Jesus was just giving them a set of religious rules and expectations that they needed to follow, Ten Commandments. You know, I, I don't steal, I don't lie, I'm, I'm sweet. But from that Hebrew perspective, and I was so fascinated by this when I saw it that I went and looked up as many of the Jewish um, authors and scholars that I knew just to make sure that this was actually legit because it was so unbelievable. But this, um, this concept of God giving Ten Commandments to his people, giving them this contract, was in their perspective, God betrothing himself to them by giving them a marriage contract. If you, if you fulfill this, I will be your husband and you will be my bride. An interesting swing on just, you must do this, you must do that. Interesting, interesting. So this is the context leading up to what we know of as Pentecost. Pentecost in the New Testament, they would count 50 days. They'd actually counted out 50, 49, 48, um, until the, the coming of, um, of Pentecost. And on, once again, on the exact day of Pentecost, at the exact time that they would, that they would celebrate um, this very day, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people. And when you, when you understand the, the foreshadowing, um, once again, we remember that if we didn't understand um, that the spotless, blemishless lamb was, was a symbol of, um, of blood covering for our sins, we couldn't understand the death of Jesus on the cross, right? It's in the same way of Pentecost. If we don't understand that God is making a marriage contract with his people, we won't understand what Pentecost is about and what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is truly about. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit um, in Pentecost, God is not just giving them a, uh, a commandment on a tablet of stone. He's writing those very commandments on the hearts of his people, that they would truly love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not on stone anymore. His Holy Spirit is actually making this real inside the hearts of his people. And this is preparation, once again, for a marriage that is to come in the future. And but for the sake of time, I haven't had the chance to go into the marriage aspects of all these other feasts, but they're all about marriage. Um, but this one, Pentecost especially, writing a marriage covenant on the hearts of his people, giving us his Holy Spirit to circumcise our hearts, to, to lead us through a process of truly loving him, that we would love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Interesting, eh? Interesting. Um, and so those were the first four what we call appointed times. Um, Mike, if you just want to whack up the, the first slide, that would be awesome. Um, I'll just give a very, very brief overview here. So we have um, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits all happen at, at um, the month of um, Nisan in the Hebrew or April to us. 
then Pentecost 50 days later. Now, the most exciting thing is that these first four are all just lead up for what is to come in the future. Now, like we said, God in his dress rehearsals um, put foreshadowing of what was to come in the future with Passover, with unleavened bread, with first fruits, with Pentecost, and it's the same in the future. I'm just going to give you a very quick tidbit um, for hopefully when we celebrate these later on in the year. But the, the next one called the Feast of Trumpets, many people have thought of as the rapture or this calling up. It was known from a Hebrew perspective as the day that no one knows the day nor the hour. Interesting, eh? Interesting how we need to understand the Hebrew culture and what was going on at that point in time. I'm not going to talk about that tonight. All, I, all I'm going to say is that all, this process, this leading out from the Israelites um, from bondage to slavery that Hezekiah talked about, and the process for us of being covered by his blood, of truly getting to know him, of, of this resurrected life, rising with him, is all for what happens in the future when Jesus physically comes back to earth, sits on his throne, rules from Jerusalem, and these next three appointed times are all dealing with those. And obviously, we're celebrating Passover, celebrating unleavened bread tonight, so we're not going to go into the depth of, the depth of that. Um, it's just interesting to think about that if he flawlessly fulfilled his first four, what's it going to be like for his next, his next ones? Eh? And there's eight times more prophecies in the Bible about him coming a second time than there is a first time. So if he came the first time, he's definitely coming back. 